you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from the thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. Oh, my gosh. We have a most brilliant author. She's written a ton, a little ton. Like, we measured it. We sent a truck out, measured it. She's run a ton of great books. She's probably actually probably sold a ton of great books, but she's written a ton of great books as well. And uh, we're going to have her on the podcast here coming up, so stay tuned. No clicking. Uh, you can see the video version of this uh, interview on youtube.com forward slash Chris Foss. Hit that bell notification button. I I got to tell you a secret. If you hit the bell notification button on YouTube, you get a special feeling just right deep in your chest and your heart there. It might be gas, might be, you know, something you drank, but it's kind of a special feeling. So hit the bell notification button. Our newest syndication is off of Amazon Music. Uh, you can hit see the podcast there. You can also follow me on Goodreads under Chris Foss. Uh, the Chris Foss Show just set up a book club over there we're trying to build out. So follow us on Goodreads.com. You can see all of our reviews, all the books we're reading, which is a lot these days, and uh, all that good stuff. Refer your friends to the show, friend, uh, DECBPN.com or Chris Foss Podcast Network.com. Now, this is kind of a really exciting and topical book right now because the, uh, the, some of these words are being run around in our politics, but uh, this is also a beautiful story interwoven with uh, government, history, and politics, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just get right to the title, Chris. Quit stalling. The Perfect Fascist, a story of love, power, and morality. In Mussolini's Italy by Victoria de Grazia. And uh, Victoria, like I say, she's written a ton of books. She's a more collegiate professor of history at Columbia University. She was born in Chicago, Chicago. Uh, grew up crisscrossing the continental U.S. with her family, and they finally settled in Princeton, New Jersey. She now has dual U.S. citizenship and Italian citizenship. She currently lives somewhere between New York City and the province of Siena in a town called Sorrentino. I'm not sure I got that correct. Did I get that correct, Victoria? Good enough. It's good enough. Start good enough. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, Victoria. How are you? fine. I'm very happy to be with you. Very happy that you're here with us as well. Uh, so give us your plugs so people can find you on the interwebs. Okay. So book, Perfect Fascist, you can find it on Amazon. That's the quickest way. But let me start before you go and buy it. Let me convince you that it's important. You've all heard the word fascism at some point or another. It's being bandied around in the U.S. a lot. There are those who call uh, the president of the United States, a fascist, but he denouncing Antifa, which means anti-fascist, which he, he should pronounce Antifa or Antifa. Well, in any ways, he calls them fascists. So the word is being tossed around. My book is not about today. It's a history. And it's about what I call the perfect fascist. So I'm trying in this history to tell you a, through a story of a man. He could be a Michael Flynn on steroids, if you want. 
if Michael Flynn had come out of the army, had joined a politician with, as they would say in some language, Quiones, a very smart politician, and then organize his militia to get him elected. That would be the type, though he would also have to be much better looking in a uniform, much younger with a big red beard, a ladies' man, and so on and so forth. So this story then is designed, because I thought it was an extraordinary story, of this man, an Italian fascist who marries an American Jewish woman, a young opera star, 17 years his junior, in a big wedding with Mussolini as best man. This story, which weaves all the way through, which starts with him being in the army, joining the colonial army as a young man, poor man, it then stretches through, and it's a way of, for you to understand what fascism was in its time, which strikes me as very important to understand if we want to understand how that term is used today and what, what it means that we even want to use it to describe um, our our country, our government. And it's a beautiful story because you've interwoven the history and talked about the history of Mussolini and the rise of fascism in, in the state. But it's also a human story, which I think a lot of people, when they throw around, well, that guy's a fascist or this government's being a fascist, we don't see the three-dimensional element of, of that there's human beings involved, that there's love, that there's, there's all these different dynamics. And that's a lot of what you get into in the story. Am I correct? Right. I found this man... I found him because he married this American and she left an archive with all these photographs of him, of her as a, you know, opera diva, but him also on campaign in, in fighting in Libya uh, against the Senussi and the Bedouin warriors. This is in the 1920s. So my question, well, who is this man who decided he was going to marry this American diva in Italy with Mussolini as his best man? And what is he? You know, a little guy, you know, comes from the lower classes of Milan, making his fortune, disappointed by the outcome of the war and the disrespect for the veterans, who says, okay, none of the present parties are good for me. I'm going to go with this new party, which promises to get rid of the liberals, which promises to make Italy great again. And so this man, Teruzzi, then, you know, a little guy, you know, maybe he would have gone into commerce if things were calm, becomes this head of the black shirts. He becomes a minister of Italian Africa. And, and so his human story, bad marriage, divorce, annulment, another woman, love child, hiding out from the Nazis in Northern Italy at the very end, finally wow. in prison. Wow. Go through a lot of Sturm and Drang. It's a real melodrama, the story. But, you know, I try to weave it through to make people understand, you know, what uh, this man was trying to do, uh, how flawed he was, impetuous, uh, mediocre in some ways, but very loyal, very loyal. That was, if you want, what was important about him, his loyalty. But uh, to what kind of cause? That's a question that we're trying to get at. What's he loyal to and what that means for his choices in terms especially of his, of his wife, a children, a child, and so on. And this is the story, the journey of life that we all go through, the beginning, the end, the, the, the things, the passions that we go through. And so I think that's what really makes it a, a beautiful, enduring book to read because you, you go through everything and it's been, it's, it's a real tale and it, it spins through uh, this history that's, that's very uh, 
that has a lot of prominence of, of Mussolini. I mean, we all know kind of how that whole thing went. Um, but but what I like about it is it talks about, like in the book, you talk about how, you know, Mussolini was all about love, and then somehow they end up in, you know, a very loveless sort of government. Mm-hmm. And they all want, you know, peace, and everyone's going to hug each other and, and stuff. And then it ends up being a very, you know, a brash government, if you will. Yeah, well, I think the upshot is like this, you know, love and death. You got this old European notion: uh, you gotta die for love. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, love is death. Very diff- long, far from Hollywood kind of view. Much more like an opera, grand opera. In fact, I structured it in some way that way. But that's because how they lived it. You know, strive, mm-hmm. grasp, overreach, and then fall. Uh, but that was also the way the fascist regime worked. You know, this coming out, we're going to change everything. We're going to do the revolution, then every kind of compromise. Uh, finally, you know, overreaching, align Italy with Hitler, a much greater power, much more power willing to throw everything into winning gl- global power and then destroying itself and everybody allied to it. So mm-hmm. this is a embodied in this man marching along da, 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 with his girlfriends all around him, his cronies, because men loved him, uh, with his close friendship with Mussolini, who was really impossible to have a friendship with because he was always changing and changing course. Uh, you can get the story of what it meant to be a fascist and then what fascism meant in, in, mm. in terms of you know try, uh, making Italy great, but at the cost of such corruption that ultimately the nation was lost. The nation was mm. crushed in war, and they they were destroyed too with with their families. It's quite the journey. I mean, it's the beginning to end, the road you're on, and the road you end up on. Now, the book starts out, I believe, with a wedding. Does it not? Yes, um, it starts out with a photograph of Mussolini right in the middle, best man. I think he was the groom and the bride from the looks of the picture and next to him this you know, black shirt and then his uh, the consort a very large diva american you know a very sort of wagnerian soprano a large solid woman who is wildly in love with this man she's there to make her coup in the opera world and this man Teruzzi's making his coup, marching on Rome, and then, uh, you know, a, a coup to become successful. And so they seem like the ideal power couple. And that's what struck me as the ideal couple, this American woman with her idea of the inner circle, we're now going to, I'm going to advance his career. Like, what this idealism that's gone so, so misbegotten on the part of this American woman that she is going to protect this man and then bring him into Mussolini's inner circle, which is a a maelstrom of conniving and uh, uh, gossip and uh, people going behind each other's backs and terror and real terror and killing opposition figures Mm -hmm. just at this time. So there is a moral, it's not only, shall we say, his immorality, but it's her innocence, shall we put it that way, her, the American innocence, which allows her to be brought in and think that she's going to change this regime, make it, not not to make it more liberal, but to make it more illustrious, more cultivated, calmer. And that's sort of the marriage then is a sign that the fascists are settling down, becoming mm-hmm. more bourgeois, uh, which uh, doesn't last. 
<laughs> Some few things do. Uh, does she, now, I think this was, uh, you said the book, this was Mussolini's first time he'd ever officiated a marriage? It was. It was the first time that he's being asked, not just as duce, leader, but also he's the prime minister. So this is a great honor, though he's very cynical. You know, he say, oh, you know, uh, this is great. Uh, you know, you want to get married. He's very interested in Tutsi settling down because this is a black shirt. He's around you know, beating people up or not him, but certainly conniving and knowing who is doing that, that violence. So it's very good for this man who is no, notorious as the head of the squads, the militia of Milan, that he now become a statesman and not keep messing around. He gets one woman pregnant. That's a very embarrassing. He's torn by all of these new courtiers. You know, when man becomes very prominent like that and he has no... <clears throat> capital of his own uh he needs friends and they begin offering him you know apartment here uh give me a zoning permit there by our standards it's small potatoes <laughs> but mm. this is uh, the path uh, you, you know then you'll get you know more and more of that and pretty soon you know the society is having big 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 problems with the corruption of the government and the black shirts were the black shirts like the brown shirts of Hitler? Was that was that their role? Yes, it's, it's the, the, the same. And once Mussolini seizes power, the coup. So you know, let's make comparison. Sort of proud boys, but Cherutzi's role was to make the proud boys disciplined squads. You know, mm. so they wouldn't be running around and showing up at demonstrations where they get beaten up, arrested, uh, you know, cause trouble. He wanted he's an army man, so he wanted them boom, 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 and get nice uniforms too. You know, you don't want people running around. It scares the bourgeoisie to have people like that running around in Milan. Some of you might have it. Some, you know, it's like running around in Paris or if they were in New York, it's very scary. So the idea of this fascist leadership was to get them organized as militia, black shirts, alert uh, teach them how to do, uh, you know, parade routines, get them out anytime there was, Fourth of the Italian Fourth of July, which is November fourth, in honor of the World War One dead, make sure that they were there with the flags to show that they were the only patriotic people, that they not not the socialists who were against the war, the Catholics against the war, the fascists were the patriots. So he plays an important role always, creating a lot of disorder and then boom, order, you know, denouncing corruption and then corrupt. Marriage, solid marriage, and then the marriage perforce breaks up because you can't have this big, bumptious American woman with all of her pontificating and moralizing. Uh, she, she causes endless trouble uh, for, for him, especially uh, after Wall Street crashes and <laughs> there's no more capital in, involved and Wall Street begins to be seen as, ooh, you know, some sort of Uncle Shylock. And since she's Jewish, she anti-Semitism starts to creep into ah. the story. So it's a big part of it, the growing anti-Semitism of the fascists. Does the story take part then when the war breaks out and, and continues on through through the war? It yes, I followed it. I mean, she, uh, they, they, they continue to have relations with, with each other through the annulment court. So think divorce courts that are secret run by the Catholic Church because there was no... <laughs> Proper divorce in Italy. If you think you've had problems with divorce, divorce lawyers, angry uh, exes, ha, this is a, this is a, you know, a, a couple from hell. Once they break break up, he gets his police to throw 
the, the, the wife's family out of Italy. He tries oh, to, you know, threatens to put, get her sent to into exile. Uh, he you know, blackballs her, you know, uh, even though she wants to stay in Italy, she has an Italian citizenship. He's, he's tries to corrupt all the courts to get, uh, if not a divorce, to get this annulment, which means he's trying to corrupt the Pope. I mean, the, the church hierarchy, the church courts. So that goes all the way on to, to the wow. war. But then I'm very interested in following him up to that point of the war, because we're saying, hey, you know, a loyal guy, he's saying, Mussolini's screwing this up. He's losing the war on the side of Hitler. The Americans are coming in. Uh, you know, the Allies are crossing over from Italy, uh, and um, uh, therefore, the, the the question then is: Well, what will Mussolini do? Uh, should he uh, leave office and? hand over power to the other and somebody else. What's more important, Mussolini or the nation? Now, that's a big decision that good, so-called good fascists, some of them said, we'll get rid of Mussolini and give the, 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 the army back to the king. Turizzi doesn't do that. I mean, he stays loyal to the man, which is sort of his final flaw because that means the Germans then uh, occupy the North, the Americans occupy the South. So the nation is left in ruins. That's the you know, ultimate irresponsibility that your people are dying. That's the ultimate responsibility when you don't protect your people and your nation loses. So by the end, the Second World War, the stakes are huge and the perfect fascist is an utter failure. So if you want, and he feels that his family too, he can't protect wow. his child uh, and who is Jewish. Uh, he has to hide with her. She's deeply traumatized and so on. Big story, saga. Think of it like an opera. <laughs> like an opera saga. Just beautiful. I, I like how it's interwebbed throughout history and, and, and tells a story because this is the journey that people go on. This is the this is the beauty of a great movie or a great story in in what it details. What what did you find in the book surprised you when you were studying, uh, researching it? Well, I always wanted to hear, you know, I said if I knew more about Taruzzi, I mean, you know, maybe he was in prison, maybe he had a confessor. And by God, I went to this island where the old penitentiary was, giant bourbon castle, which had formerly been Dudgeons, and the priest was still there. That is, he had retired. (laughs) Gorgeous guy, lying in bed with his James Bond-looking nurse, you know, gorgeous Russian nurse, and he was able to tell me some about this Taruzzi. He was at 92 years old, you know, he said, very impetuous, bad temper, but he had reformed. He had become patient and quiet. He was the head librarian in the prison. Uh, And his old quality of man of order was he would be very, very angry if anybody scribbled in the books. So in the very end, this loyalty was transferred to the prison chaplain and his skills in keeping order uh, were transferred to being this you know, librarian in the prison. And wow. that was, you know, let's say, poignant, surprising, you know, that, wow, that I could have that strange contact. Oh, then there were every other moments too. I was able to get to the site where he had been captured by the partisans in a big shootout. We walked over the fields where the 
partisans that tried to ambush him as he was escaping to Switzerland, big, you know, firefight. And the little boy were saying, they remember, there was a little boy who was now 70, 80 years old. He said, oh, yes, they started firing. We jumped on each other and we peed on each other. We were so scared. (laughs) So this kind of connection with this past, which in some people, the old people's eyes was still very immediate. I think that was what constantly surprised me, that human factor in in writing this book. Uh, So giving a kind of humanity to the period, which also shows how inhuman it was. (laughs) Yeah. That's extraordinary. You're able to track down the the people. That is awesome. Because then you get that rich history that just makes so beautiful into the context of the book, right? Yeah, it makes, it, it does, it does. I think you know the you readers will find that it's a this very this very human story that even the, the man is so awful. My feminist friends would say, "How can you spend spent so many years researching tracking this guy down?" I said, "Well, first of all, you got to drive a stake through his heart. You really have to work at it, and and then." Yeah, but he's human. You know, he's got all of the passions and feelings and family love and his love of Mussolini, his love of the nation. Not the king, he hated the king and he was an anti-clerical. But, you know, and then you see how it's deformed. You see how things get warped uh, in that kind of politics, which suffocates uh, and bends and warps people's moral compass. And so it is a story of moral compass that gets bent out of shape in individuals and in groups, but then in a whole nation under that kind of despotic rule. And that, mm-hmm. again, <laughs> that, that resonates. You know, we see you know, when politics goes out of kilter, you mm-hmm. get such crazy emotional behavior and uh, the people making choices that uh, you know, are more and more incomprehensible even. Uh, unless we can somehow step back and, and, and grasp um, the, the where politics is going. It's, it's interesting to me, and, and especially in the story of life and the story of this book, is, is you know, everything starts out in love and everyone's got good intentions and, and then, you know, it snowballs and then, you know, suddenly you're on the path to hell and, and things aren't working out and, and one thing leads to another and you can see how it unfolds. Um, you, you said, uh, how did you come across the story? You said you, you had uh, been given or discovered a box of photos. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very interested in the problem of strong man, you know, strong men, strong men, one word. And, you know, the fat leaders, especially they were seem to be coming back in the 1990s. And, and uh, then I was given this box of, of papers and in it, looked it through, I saw this woman marrying uh, this black shirt and the family wanted to know why did our nice, talented Jewish girl who was going to have such a great career as an opera singer, you know, a professional opera singer, not a cabaret singer, you know, with all respect for all other kinds of music, why did she marry this man and give away her, her career? You know, that's a kind of, sort of me too question. And then why did he renounce her, throw her out as if she was some sort of piece of baggage. Uh, uh, and that story was so extraordinary and promised, you know, finally I can dig into the background of one of these guys, you know, nail them, you know, get behind the facade of the uniforms, and the stuffed shirts with all of their medals, which you look at any kind of 
documentary on fascism. That's what you see. Strutting around, all of these other men strutting around, posing, posturing. So it's like, how do you get behind all this posturing? Who lies behind? Who gives them strength to do what they do every day? Females. There are a lot of women in this story and a lot of strong women. Even if they end up with these guys and give them a lot of strength, uh, they, they, they're real. They're real. And that's also, you know, the question of their complicity with the system by being good wives or bad wives, lovers, uh, the, the, the mothers of the, of the children. So it's a story about a perfect fascist, but his mother, his wife, wives, uh, his uh, lovers, uh, his crone, male cronies. Uh, it's all very sexy because the emotion of the fascism sexualized everything. It made everything very, you know, this word love being bandied around, bandied around, passion, passion and death, and you should die for your passion. So it's, a, it's quite a story in that sense, very um, emotional. I like stories like this because I think we look at history from a from a uh, 2D sort of effect. We're like, yeah, uh, Germany had the war there and they did some really awful, horrific things and, and then it ended. And you don't see the inner woman story of millions of people. I remember uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, artists in the, in the band Rush, Neil Peart, he wrote uh, that when the, the wall fell in Russia, uh, a lot of people were happy. And he was like, I'm really angry. He goes, because I'm thinking of the millions of people and all their stories who suffered, who stood in bread lines, who, who endured the horrific uh, thing. And in war and in Mussolini's uh, time, and I'm sure in your book, uh, it tells the true story. What, what goes on, these interpersonal relationships, the mothers, the fathers, the family, the kids, the wives, the, the ex-wives. And it, it's, not, it's not that 2D sort of thing that we look towards history. There's a, there's a depth to it. There's heartbreak. There's loss. There's love. There's passion. Um, there's good intentions. There's good intentions that go wrong. And, and you see the, the summation of those as they go through the story, correct? Yeah, I think it's very important to to bring back the, the the those those feelings and to understand, you know, how the personal personal ideas and feelings connect with politics. In some sense, we've been used in this country to say, okay, politics is out there, and every four years we're going to get all enraged and 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 and, and fight about it. But now we're in a position where everybody's completely enraged and involved emotionally, and. That was very similar to that kind of regime, you know, where you know, kind of constant emotional upset. And one can imagine them, how big the stakes were so that the people began in their individual lives even aligning. You know, a fascist would not marry an anti-fascist <laughs> and vice versa. You know, families were affected by whether they were fascist or anti-fascist. It became very, very important how you identify yourself politically in order to survive. And that's something that we want to think about. It's not only about the Shoah, and that's usually where Americans focus. They say that's the, that, the terrible thing about fascism in Italy or Germany, goodness, in Europe, is the, the death of the, of, of the Jews, which comes late I mean, which is not in any way to underestimate. It comes under the cover of war. But there's also this 20 years starting in Italy in 1920 when 
I mean, people are being forced to migrate, uh, emigrate abroad because they're anti-fascist. This battle is going on between fascists and anti-fascists from 1920 all the way continuing to 1943. And you you can imagine that period roughly from 26 when Italy begins to stabilize, you know, how people lived in very passionate and difficult ways. There was one story, and then, you know, we have a lot of stories. I interviewed a woman who knew, again, one of the protagonists, and she was a school teacher, very, very, you know, she sounded like she was a good Democrat, or, you know, in any case, you know, not not involved in politics. She was retired, and she said, oh, you know what, I was going to marry Mussolini. She was 10 years old. And then I heard everybody laughing and screaming because he had been overthrown. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried because they teased me, saying, now you're not going to be able to wear your white dress and your shoes. She said, well, he was my first great love, and my heart was broken when he was overthrown. (laughs) So, you know, this there was a huge investment on the part of, especially by the time the little kids who were all these little organizations, fascist organizations. So, you know, I, I sort of ended on that, how emotionally charged this regime was, you know, Mussolini over everything and people, then their lives having to be made to kind of in rhythm with, with what he was doing. Uh, even as he got older and they began to see he was corrupt and that he had a girlfriend that became known he was had a lover when he was always showed as a family man and he no longer controlled people like Teruzzi who were acting out, terrible libertines who had you know, all sorts of relations and they began to pull away and become more and more disenchanted. So mm-hmm. the flip side of that emotion is that when things got bad, war, bombing, uh, people were losing their lives, he could no longer protect them, then the terrible disenchantment set in. Mm-hmm. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. But it took 20 years. Wow. What, what's your favorite story in the book that you prefer, you like the most? Um, what, what I, uh, I think I like the most, the way um, the, to the, finding out that Liliana... Uh, the way she would mobilize, even in Italy, she would go around. She's a big woman, and say, "Ah, oh, you know, ah, oh, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight this. He's he's ruining my he ruined my reputation by 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 trying to divorce me. Uh, and there was no no cause. I had no lover, and so she mobilizes everybody to. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everybody, but anybody who had a grievance against the fascists and who was not going to get knocked off by them, uh, she got to support. And so she got some of the leading divorce lawyers in Italy to support her who understood, you know, that they could do it and not, you know, be, be beaten up or forced, forced to leave. So that sort of Liliana before the judges, you know, this proud Jewish woman defending her honor and her mother when the verdict comes in at one point which will then be reversed, saying that the marriage will not be annulled. Her mother writes, Liliana, all by herself, she defeated Mussolini and the Pope. <laughs> Just <laughs> love that idea. Her, their little babala, you know, their, their little Jew, Jewish child, she had resisted the Pope, uh, and it was very important, Catholic Pope, and Mussolini to keep her marriage to this fascist cat intact and thereby save her honor as a woman. So she's like the original Me Too woman who 
There you go. It keeps going. It keeps going. The Italians are very passionate people. And so that's probably what makes this story a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I say, you know, they, he, on the, on the day of their, when their marriage is consummated, riding in the king's train going north to, to Vienna, he sings Kalaf's song, you know, which Pavarotti, I will triumph, I will triumph. This, you know, idea that he's triumphed over the ice, prince, ice, ice princess. So, you know, they, they themselves live a lot of opera roles as they, as they live their, their so-called daily lives. It's kind of, it airs a lot of mixing in because you're talking about very fundamental human loyalties about and, and ideas about family and loyalty and fate and as you were saying and destiny and and life and mm-hmm. and so the book does get down to those fundamentals which are the subject if you want of opera and of a certain kind of humanistic um, ideas of a society with the fascist played on and corrupted. Yeah. The story of life and the, and the, and the beauty of life, love and love lost and life lost and everything else. What, what do you hope people take from this uh, as they uh, read the book and close out of it? I think that they will, you know, really want to think about both the human story and how humans get implicated in despotic regimes. You know, we, we in some ways have, in the U.S. have always prided ourselves in not having to bend our personal selves to authoritarian politics, which in some ways is why we're shocked by how uh, vehement the politics are today. Okay? And so I think that they, people, you could take away the story of people and how they respond and how they're influenced I think, too, the moral question, you know, how we think about moral choices. They're complicated. They're very complicated. And it may be that just denouncing moral flaws really isn't enough. You've got to kind of get behind why that behavior, what permits it, and not just to say, denounce, denounce, denounce. Get behind, get behind. Try to understand that. Your morality is not everybody's, so therefore we've got to understand the, what permits this, you know, forms of behavior, outlooks which seem to be destructive of the society, and not just denounce them morally, uh, but understand the political causes that lie behind them. It's a, a bit of a complicated message, but I think it's not so. It's not so complicated. It's a difference between understanding the politics of. Uh, that permit awful behavior, the laws that are broken, and you know, and and then just denouncing the symptom, which is immoral behavior. Yeah, that was beautiful. I mean, I think you uh, gave it a perfect analogy. Um, do you see similarities when you're writing the book to the politics going on in America, or do you see well, any doppelgangers? Historians often, you know, you play back and forth. Your head changes. You know, in other words, the way I saw fascism 30 years ago, eh, different. You know, clearly, one look, lives in society, we're human beings, and so our, our thinking gets clarified to ask new questions about it. And, and, you know, I would never have thought that by writing about human beings, I would have 
understand better that society. So that said, you're, it's not, and, you're, I mean, I think listeners really want to hear something more. Well, yeah, I mean, think uh, you know, the militarization of society that was so clearly behind the fascist rise to power coming out of World War One. All of this militarization, this blowback from the army, which then military from wars, which then militarizes militarizes your police, poor poor slobs who get all this weaponry, and that seems to be the good. How do you get deal with trouble? Bring out the heavy weapons. I mean, that started in the 1990s. Very important, that militarization. Mm-hmm. That war is a way to solve things. That's what the fascists brought in, like Cheruzzi, into the society. Very important. Another order and disorder. Okay, create disorder. And then, hey, we're for order. Very old thing, you know. Yeah. Socialist baiting. Oh, my gosh. The heyday. That's what the Mussolini and his others did. The socialists are anti-national. They were against the war. A lot of people were against the war. But they insulted our soldiers. Well, maybe some did, a few, you know, that's not. Uh, but then, oh, so they're the enemy. Socialists are the enemy, and we're the good. Catholics are the enemy, and we're the good. And then it becomes Bolsheviks are the enemy, uh, Jews are the enemy, lurid Arabs are the enemy. The British, oh my God, how I hated the British. You know, the British bosses around, they're arrogant, they're impotent. Feet, the French, impotent, sterile, and so on. Pretty soon, you know, you keep working. They're caused disorder, and we bring order. We bring greatness back to Italy. It sort of goes on and on. Corruption. Look, corruption, uh, it, 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 it goes with the terrain. When you get non-professional politicians who, you know, have need to use the public trough uh, to grease uh, their friends and so on and so forth, because there's not a proper political party and the political party is not, is, is no longer regulated by law about you know, social, social, uh, social uh, excuse me, the civil service. There's all kinds of law, laws that have been put into place to make sure that, you know, you're not lining your pockets. Yeah. <laughs> and the IRS used to be very careful about <laughs> who gets what, you know, checking and checking and checking. So we were growing up scared to death that if I deducted pencils, at which I wasn't using for work, you know, we used to keep all the tags and so on and so forth. Well, when those rules begin to be broken because you've got a party which is not responsible to the public and then it's not easy to get rid of it, got problems <laughs> you know it's constitutional it, you know they think they could break the law because the law is not made for them you know, these are sort of recurrent problems it's not just fascist italy it's any despotism that's the nature of it you begin to put your military in the wrong place you begin to say there's disorder we need the order you, you begin to say law it's not for us it's for others it's bad law because it doesn't allow us to do this and to do that so you know in that sense this book is is very clear not on lessons because history teaches we don't learn let's put it that way but it makes you it resonates and it makes you therefore think uh about about the world i hope in a different way well, that should be the upshot. You know, you read this this story, which is so sad in some way, but I tried to make it a woman's way of introducing you to the problem of fascism in that time, in in the, its original time, the twenties and thirties uh, under Mussolini. Well, it's an extraordinary book. Uh, anything more we need to know as we go out? Well. 
get it. And if you like it, let people know. It's not an easy time that I can't be with you in person. You know, it's, it's, it's very human to see you, Chris. But we are in a, in a situation where it's difficult to get the word out and to talk to people personally. Uh, so while you've given me a great audience, read the book, okay? Read it. And, and if you like it, comment on it. <laughs> And I would agree too. Check out the book. It's a beautifully well written book. I, I was enthralled by it. And and it's a love story too. So there's you know, there's a bit of love in there. There's that as <laughs> well. Uh give us your plugs one more time, Victoria, so people can look you up so, on the Perfect Fascist, Victoria de Grazia, but the perfect fascist is enough. Story of love, power, morality, and go to Amazon and purchase it. And, and Harder check out our other books friend. as well. And yes, Irresistible Empire about America's advance to global power over the 20th century. That has got a lot of interesting insights into how America became a truly great power. Not so much by both by force, but a lot by rotary clubs and Hollywood movies and the Marshall Plan and so on and so forth. So that. It's a book I'm very proud of, too. I think I noticed a theme through a lot of your books. There's a lot of different uh, love, passion. Uh, there's even one, The Sex of Things, Gender yeah, and I'm Consumption. I'm very interested in power. And power goes through <laughs> a lot of banging of heads, but also a lot of seduction. So these two faces, you know, the seductive power, all of the wiles, and, and uh, the, you know, the, the, the carrot and the stick, let's put it that way. Or like Machiavelli's prince, he said, you know, what's better, to be loved or hated? And he says, well, first I better be hated, but then I better be loved. <laughs> Sounds like my first marriage. I'm just kidding. Uh, the Perfect Fascist, a story of love, power, and morality in Mussolini's Italy. Pick it up, guys. You can go to Amazon.com and check it out. You can also shop all the books uh, from all the great authors who have been on the show. Uh, it's a special shop we have on Amazon, Amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash uh, Chris Voss, you can hit that uh, thing there. And then uh, uh, you have a .com as well, don't you, Victoria? You want to plug that? Victoria de Grazia.com. I know that's a think Italian, Victoria, D-E-G-R-A-Z-I-A.com. There you go. And thanks for being with us today, Victoria. We certainly appreciate having you on the show. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you all of you for listening. Thank you. Uh, to my audience, be sure to watch the video version of this on YouTube.com for Josh Chris Voss at the bell notification. Uh, we uh, Thanks to Amazon for putting us on to Amazon Music for the podcast. Go to Goodreads.com. You can see our reviews over there and the books we're reading. And uh, we I, I've made it a point of saying currently reading everybody who's ever been on the show so far. So uh, that's quite the list. People are like, he's reading a lot of books right now. Uh, so, But go to Goodreads. You can see all that there and join the book club that we're uh, building. And uh, all the good stuff. Tomorrow, as we certainly appreciate you guys. Stay safe, uh, register to vote, and we'll see you guys next time. Ditto. Say it that too. Register to vote and be very safe. Be very safe. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Tomorrow, and Victoria.